Father, thank you for making your way down here through Jesus to demonstrate your love for us. That we could know you. And we know that your word tells us, cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. And you demonstrated that care for us by sending your son. Father, speak to our hearts today as only you can, through your word, by your spirit, correct, rebuke, encourage, strengthen us, help us to see you as you are, the high and holy one, the one we adore. Also help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You can be seated. Man. Morning. So it was uh, what we used to say on mornings like this, that it's a frosty mug. And I don't know what we meant, but outside, that's what it's like. It's frosty out there. It's cold. It's a challenge to get vehicles going, to get ourselves going. And uh, thankful to be here, though. And we are going to move right into our sermon so that that, uh, that can be online. And then when that time is done, we can, we'll have some fellowship time here just to cover some things and pray for each other. If you've been traveling through First and Second Peter, we are in Second Peter chapter 1. Tim, just in case, I didn't get all the house lights up this morning, a couple on the back. There, the rest of them, so people can see their the scriptures. Phil, do you mind praying for us quick? Our Father, my God, we come to you this morning with hearts of desire to meet with you and to understand the meaning of oneness with you. And that while there's effort on our part, it's the thing that you desire to draw us into. We seek your face. Please open it to us. Chris this morning as we look at it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've had the privilege and the opportunity to be mulling section of scripture for quite some time. And that there's gold here. And by the grace of God and the privilege of God this morning when I woke up, he was continuing to 
just as I mulled over the scriptures, you know, the thoughts are in my mind. And so some things came together, but that doesn't mean I can clearly communicate to you now some of those things that I've gleaned. So bear with me as I attempt to share some of those thoughts with you. And um, I've encouraged you. Does anybody remember how long it takes to read through Second Peter? If you're at my speed, it was around eight, eight minutes, nine minutes, right? So I encourage you as we go through Second Peter to keep reading so that you have some thoughts in your head. So when you come here, you're going, I don't know how he's going to answer that, or I don't know what the question is even. So when we come to Scripture, we're searching for gold because there's gold there. It's God's living word. He says it's living and active sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And we need our hearts judged by Scripture, not by each other, but by Scripture. We need to lay our hearts before the Lord. And so when we enter into Scripture, that's what we're doing. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, you know that this passage we've been working on, First Peter chapter, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then I just want to, the next verse that says, for this reason, make every effort. So for this reason, make every effort. That's as far as I want to go today. But I want to just spend some time, and I had challenged you a couple weeks ago to be thinking about, if you could stop and say, listen, this is one of the most, I, I want to be careful how I say this, because I don't want to be, disrespectful or ir- irreverent toward God in any way, but this is the most auda- one of the most audacious and um, spectacular promises in Scripture. And you'd have to stop and say, do I really believe this? And then you have to examine your life and say, does my life demonstrate that I believe this how you see me live, how I practice my faith? Do I really believe that his divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness, or am I trying to get my needs met illegitimately? And not only illegitimately, am I trying to get my needs met in ways that God could never provide because they would diminish my humanity or they would diminish the other person's humanity in some way less than what it was meant to be. It would be less than. So his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So that's a staggering claim. And you should be saying, do I believe that? Or am I, if I did believe it, it would mean that I would, I would be pursuing the truth of that. I would, our knowledge of him, I would per, be pursuing God to, to fill me with whatever that means. Life and godliness, that everything I need is provided through Him. So it's through our knowledge of Him we have everything we need for life and godliness. So if your life is shortchanged, if my life is shortchanged, 
If the people around our life, if our community is shortchanged, we need to ask ourselves, what are we seeking for and where are we seeking it? If this is a promise from the God of all universes, the creator of heavens and earth, if he said that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, through these things, those things, are, those things being his divine power, life and godliness, he has given his, us his very great and precious promises. Now, when I was studying this, the word great can be interpreted, the Greek word there could be interpreted several words that are, that are a word called a superlative. Okay? And I'll just give you a simple, for my simple mind, a superlative is like this. Are you familiar with Lake Lamond? Right in town here, right? So a superlative of a lake, Lake Lamont, somebody would say, oh, that's a lake. But if you lived on Lake Superior, somebody would say, that's not a lake, that's a puddle. And so the superlative is the idea that it's vastly further, vastly larger, the capacity, the glory, the, the honor. So we try to think of superlatives sometimes to use to describe things. And so their words, their enhancers, the idea is to get the most out of it. So when he's saying, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. God, I almost used the word God is attempting, but God doesn't attempt, God achieves. But when he comes to you and I, he's attempting to communicate to us, pay attention. This is well worth your hearing, your learning, your understanding. You're imparting this to your life. It will make a vast difference as you move forward. That if you look at life and you said, everything I need for life and godliness comes through my knowledge of God. It's not going to come through some of the superficial imposters that I will face along my journey. Everything I need for life and godliness comes through his precious promises, through his godliness, his goodness, and it comes through his person as I seek his face. So through these, and that's his being divine, his power, his authority, his, he's being the giver of life, he's given us his very great and precious promises. Now, what I discovered this past week, and I didn't know this. I'm learning all the time. Anybody take a guess how many promises there are in Scripture? Just take a wild guess. Three. Huh? 1,000? Okay. Somebody give me a superlative for 1,000. <laughs> There's a lot, okay? But this particular um, person mentioned... Um, about 30,000, okay? So, obviously, we're like going, well, how do they know that? Well, they probably read and they added them up and they figured and they missed a few and maybe they added a few that they didn't, that to them were their promises. But here's the point. Every one of his precious promises have been answered. He never fails, he never fails on his precious promises. 
So not only are we made in God's image, but it says that through his precious promises, we participate in his divine nature. And I want you to ask yourself the question. You can use the word heck, okay? What in the heck could that possibly mean that you participate in God's nature? It doesn't mean anything less than every human being on the face of the earth right now is made in the image of God. But we're not talking about something that you had nothing to do with, your birth. You had nothing to do with you being born in the image of God. That was his grace to every human before we were ever born. But this says that his divine nature has given us I mean, his, his promises have given us opportunity, privilege to participate in his divine nature. So that would go beyond than just being born in his image. You can know him. You could seek his face. You could be in an intimate, growing relationship with the living God. The God who made you, you could know him. That's what this passage is saying. His divine power has granted us, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And if that's not good enough, the next verse says, through these we have been given his very great and precious promises so that, which in the Greek, I love this phrase, and I don't want you to think that I know Greek when I say this, but it's the Hena clause. And the Hena clause is a so that clause or in order that clause, or for this reason clause, or a therefore clause, is to try to help you to see there's purpose. There's, there's deep and profound purpose in what these verses are saying. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then, it, then after that, then it starts the whole next part about adding to your faith. But it has this little phrase, and it says, for this reason. And I would ask a question. Where have you heard that phrase before? For this reason. Have you heard that phrase before? For this reason. Did you guys hear it recently? Why did you hear it recently? Because you got married. Because back in Genesis, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. And I'm like going, what? What? Is Peter picking up on a theme that's from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible of God's desire to be with his people? This idea of community, this idea of fellowship, koinonia, communion, Presence, unity, intimacy. So I'm thinking, what? What's here? Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. So being made in God's image and participating in his divine nature they certainly overlap, but they're different. 
And just to reiterate the fact that you had no choice in your being born. You didn't have a choice who your parents were. But every human being on the face of the earth that's ever been born in the past and will be born in the future was born in the image of God. But not every human participates in the nature of God because they're pursuing God and they're recognizing his provision and his precious promises that he's given us to become one with him in the sense of not that we become gods, but that we participate in his nature through a relationship, through accepting his precious promises, to recognizing that he is calling us to walk with him in a journey. So we had no say in our being born in God's image. And it would seem to me that Peter is edging toward the fact, and even after we've all we've studied in 1 Peter, that he's saying, you know what? You may have no fact in your first, you have no involvement in your first birth. But in growth, and especially in your participating in God, in walking with Him, that's on you. By privilege, by gift, by opportunity, you can walk with God. You can participate in His nature. So I've been asking myself for the last month, what could this mean? Through our knowledge of him, we participate in the divine nature. We participate in fellowship, in relationship. And so I made a bunch of phrases, and I don't want to repeat myself, but I, I spent some time, and I said, okay, through our knowledge of him, we participate in the divine nature. Well, through our knowledge of him, we would recognize that there's a thing called forgiveness. We would recognize there's a thing called communion. We would recognize there's a thing called love. There's, we would recognize there's a thing called fellowship. We would recognize that God has blessed us through our knowledge of him. He's given us what we need for life and godliness. So if I'm not living, or if I find myself living less than I, uh, than I ought to be, because Jesus came, he said, I came that you might live and live it to the full. What did that mean? So wherever I am on the journey, am I living as full as I could be living today through my knowledge of him, through my participation in his nature because of his precious promises, because what he is offering to me. I did a little bit of study on this idea of participation. And I looked up the word, and there's some other words that fit in there. Partnership, partners, sharers together. In Luke chapter 5, verse 10, I don't want you to turn there right now. You can jot it down if you wanted to. But there's a little verse there, and it just talks about um, Simon and the brothers there were partners in their fishing business. And then I thought, well, what, what does that mean? You know what it means? It means they've been through some high water together. It means they've been out on the lake when there was no fish caught. And they've been out on the lake and they've been exhausted. 
And they've been out on the lake on days when the boat almost sank because there were so many fish. But it meant they were together and they were sharers together of that experience. And so it doesn't mean less. It means more when it says participating in the divine nature. It means intimacy and relationship with God that you, I don't want to say you could only hope for, but I do want to say what you could only hope for. Because scripture says it's beyond what we can ask or imagine, his availability to us through his son, through what he has done. In Hebrews, it uses this word again, in Hebrews chapter 10. And it talks about standing side by side with those who have suffered. And it's the same word, participation. And I'm thinking, you know what? So you mean in this journey, God, when I, I look at my life sometimes and I wake up in the morning and say, where's God? Where's God in this mess? Where is he? You mean to say that you're side by side with me? Do you mean to say that you're right there? Do you mean to say that through your precious promises and through knowledge of you, if I could see clearly, I would see that you've never left me. You've never forsaken me. I would see that Psalm 23 is so true that even through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there. Your rod and your staff, they guide me. You are there in my darkest day. You are there. Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Through these, you've given me your great and precious promises, and I've been blind to it? I could have missed it? I was reminded this morning because of the verse where it says, for this reason, one of the, one of the favorite things I get to do, and it's also a grueling thing, but it's a, it's a great and it's a grueling thing. They go together. Is, is the opportunity to spend some time with young couples before they get married. And I was trying to, I come home from those meetings, and my wife can tell you, you would think I'd been to Alaska on the greatest adventure possible, right? And I come in the door, and I'm pretty wound up. And, and I've just been trying to think, why? What is this? What is this that so impacts me? And I think it has something to do with this idea of participating with God because everything's potential when you're dealing with a new couple. Everything is promise. Everything's in the future. And the stakes are so high for good, and for trouble. Because God designed marriage and uses it as a picture of his relationship with us. That we would be together, that we would have fellowship, that we would connect, that there would be nothing between us. The, the verse there um, verse 4 ends with that if we participate in his nature, having escaped the corruption in the world. I thought this was very interesting as I learn 
maybe some of the point of what Peter was trying to say is that, did you know that corruption, corruption is anything that would dim the human experience with God or with one another. And we have to be careful that we don't be too quick to assume we know what that means of what would diminish our view of God. The word corruption, here's some, some definition of it. The act of corrupting, that which has to do with decay, loss, ruin, depravity, wickedness, perversion, deterioration, loss of purity or integrity, to break, to separate, to dissolve, to change from good to bad. And one of the definitions I found every time I looked up a new idea of the word, it had to do with um, rotting vegetation. Corruption had to do with rot. It had to do with everything that takes from what is good and turns it toward what is bad. To spoil, consume, or waste. Everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us by God through his precious promises. And through these, we participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world. I had a conversation this morning with a dear friend as we were actually talking about this past, because I realized that one of the things that I would challenge anybody to do, and you could please correct me if I'm wrong on this, okay? So you guys that love to pay attention to details, here's a detail. And I, I don't have any special prize I can award you with. I wish I did. But if you could, if you could answer this for me. But I was, it was dunning on me that I don't, realize, I don't think that it's possible for any of us to think of an incident or an experience and then give you a couple more minutes to think about it that you couldn't make it better or you couldn't think about it in a better way. And I was realizing, you know what? One of the things that God's doing for us is saying that if we participate in his divine nature and escape corruption, some of those things that we think about to make it better would make it true. So I was in here this morning enjoying some prayer time and thinking about the passage, but it wasn't enough for me. I had to call a friend and I had to say, hey, did you see this? Did you, did you get this out of this passage? Is God really calling us into an intimate friendship with him? Like we would have a friendship. And so my wife and I, we've been working on this thing. How many years, honey? We've been working on this thing for 35 years. You know what? And it dawned on me this morning. The reason I'm so excited about um, RJ and Kylie, that's just one couple I'm visiting with right now. The reason I'm so excited is because my wife and I, you know what? We have a couple dents on the prop 
Our rudder has been damaged. We got some kinks in the hull. We can't go out to sea like we could have gone out to sea. But there's forgiveness, of course, and there's restoration. And we're further out to sea than we ever thought we could be. But you know what? It makes us realize if we press into this thing, man, we're going to be way out there. And it's like everything that's fading, everything that's being corrupted has nothing to do with your relationship with God. Because you've been given new birth that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept for you in heaven. Remember chapter 1 of Peter? All the things we get consumed with, all the things that we get concerned about, all the things that are distracting our joy, they're the things that aren't so. They're the things that we can look away and say, you know what? He tells us, you know what? These things are passing away. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Everything else is passing away. What is seen with the eye will soon dissolve and disappear. What is real is that spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ that he's inviting us into. The Father invites us into this relationship. We're the bride of Christ. And so when I'm talking with the young couple, all I'm thinking about is the potential. And I'm trying to um, encourage them. And I'm trying to help them understand because of what God has done, because what God provided for you. Read the verse again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. You have a responsibility and you have a privilege, you soon-to-be-married couple. And then I try to warn them about some of the roadblocks of corruption. And basically, if you think about a relationship that God's trying to bring us into, intimacy with him, corruption is anything that would cause any degree of separation. Any degree of separation from, from seeing him the way he really is, from seeing your spouse the way you really could see them if you press through, if you continue, if we grow, if we forgive, if we're willing. And so to say, yeah, we have, you know what? We hit some rocks in our marriage. We've had some dings to the covenant. We've had some times where the rudder was all but torn from the ship. And sometimes we were spinning in circles. But you know what? There's promises in the scripture and, and in participating in the nature of God that far outweigh those things. So when he says that you escape the corruption of the world, all the dimming down, all the things that bring distraction and uh, difficulty and trials and struggles, Peter's been talking about it the whole time. And if we sink our teeth deeply, we'd realize, listen, those things that seem to distract, they're actually providers. They're actually opportunities to clear some of the junk away and help us to realize we don't have our eyes focused where we could have our eyes focused and we can refocus.
And God's inviting us to this ever-deepening relationship with Him. And if we trusted what we're reading, if we're trusting His action in our hearts and minds, we would realize, you know what? I can make this better. And we're fools enough, every one of us, to know how to make a situation worse, right? We're very good at making things worse. But he's giving us opportunity to make things better. He's the one who spoke order out of chaos. And he wants to do that in your life. And he wants to do that in my life again and again and again. So I hope that you wouldn't miss the privilege and the depth of the invitation here. To participate with God. So the corruption doesn't dim your view of him, your view of all other humans around. You could see them as made in the image of God with the capacity to participate with God. And you could say, hey, come on, let's go. What are we doing here? Playing in the mud puddle when there's a banquet by the sea. Let's move forward. Let's go on. I love to take people who fished in Le Mans and they think, I'm, they think that's fishing, okay? And they say, hey, what are you doing next week? I would like to take you for a boat ride. I would like to take you to a lake. No, let's just go to Le Mans. I said, well, let me take you to a lake. But this is the invitation. This is what I see in the passage. Don't you see it there? Isn't, isn't it there that through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world? So we're, whatever type of, um, wherever you're at in this journey, let me close with this little illustration. There was a man who worked at, on a, a gondola. Did I say that right? Gondola. And a gondola is a cable car that's connected from the base of the mountain to the top of the mountain. And so his job was in the wee early hours of the morning when most of y'all are asleep. He invites people to the gondola ride at sunrise when it's still dark in the valley. And he takes them up the cable car and he says, I want you to see how life changes with light and with perspective. And they start going up the mountain. That's what God's inviting us to. To head up on the mountain. To head up further to the top. And maybe, you know, some of us, we're limping pretty bad by this time of the journey. But you know what? We can point. We can say, you know what? I hope that you keep going. I hope that you press on. I know that you fell into a pothole there. I know you slipped into a ravine. I know you got caught in a cave and you thought you should stay there. But listen, go up further. Go up further till you can gain sight of what's just over that next ridge. Go up a little further. Press in. So when Peter comes to the place and he says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith, he's pointing back to the reason. The reason is participation with God. 
through knowledge of his precious promises, through knowledge of him in a journey that can only come step at a time, a step at a time, a step at a time, working through a difficulty, through sweat and tears and cries and pain. And you get along the journey and you're like going, wow, honey, you know what? There's going to be some tears still in the future. And I'm not even going to say there are going to be less tears, but you and I are going to be crying together on those days. We'll also be celebrating in the midst of the swamp on some days because we're growing. And that's what God is offering us. He's offering us a relationship. He's saying, trust me in this. Trust me in this. I'm leading you to places you couldn't even imagine. And yeah, some of it's through a valley. Some of it's through difficulty. But I'm the faithful one. And we have a high priest who has gone before us, inviting us in on this journey. And so I want you to ponder for next week, as you, in the next couple of weeks, as we think about adding to our faith, and he gives us seven things to add to your faith. The reason being participation in an intimate relationship with the living God. Everything you ever dreamed of, everything you ever hoped of in your relationships, in glory, in joy, it's in knowing the Father through the Son. So to add the right stuff, there's some things in your life that need to go. You know why? Because unlike God, who's unlimited, you're limited. We have limited the capacity. So you and I might be holding some things in our life. We might be paying attention to some things in our life that are limiting our joy. They're limiting our fellowship with him. They're corruption. They're diminishing the intimacy that we could have. And that intimacy is first vertical and then it's horizontal. And if we're holding on to stuff, we got to get rid of some stuff so we can add the right stuff. That we can add stuff to our life that is actually life. The things that really matter for making life life. For bringing out the absolute optimum in this relationship with God, and with one another. The best of the best. So you and I, we need to be pondering. We need to be thinking, now that we've unpacked this particular jewel, that God's inviting us into a relationship to participate in his nature, as we think about adding those things over the next couple weeks, what needs to go? What are you clinging to right now so that your hands are so cling to it, you can't say, Lord, bring it my way. You got something else in your, in your, I was going to say my windshield. Yeah, you got something else in your windshield, something else that you're focusing on. So the direction of your life, rather than toward intimacy with God, the direction of your life is somewhere else. Because you think you're going to find fulfillment, meaning, purpose, hope, joy, contentment in that something else. You're not trusting Him. We're not trusting him like we could and like we should. So we have that opportunity. So through knowing him, we have a relationship. 
We share life together, participation. It's communion. It's companionship. It's the same ideas that you would use to describe any human relationship that you have. You want to connect. You want to have companionship. You want there to be richness. You want there to be intimacy. You want there to be closeness. God's offering that. So I would just invite you, my friends, this week to passionately pursue His precious promises and see if He doesn't far exceed, including my, our puny view of Him as He invites us to add to our faith. So we're just beginning, right? Hun, we're just beginning. Father, thank you. Pray that you'd help us to see you with clearer eyes, to hear you with unstopped ears, to know your heart, to love you. more in ways like you love us. We're thankful, God, that you're so passionate about this. You sent your own son to clear the clutter. You sent your own son to remove the corruption, to take it upon himself and bury it, and then rise and say, follow me. Lord, help us to know you and love you. Give us a hunger and a thirst that we don't have, but a hunger and thirst that has us. Take us away from the mud piles and the puddles. Take us to the mountains and the living water. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.